Tonight we're going to speak on a vibrant, not boring prayer life. So this morning I was coming in, I was praying. As I was driving into town, I was praying for our city, asking the Lord, why don't you have fun today, Lord? Just We're inviting you in. We're welcoming you into our city. Intervene wherever you want to intervene. Have mercy on people's lives. You know, cause people to realize it, that you're doing unique things for them and, and just show yourself off to them. Lord, we ask you to send your angels. And, you know, I was just thinking about the protection over our city. But then I started thinking about this new couple we have, Brad and Erica. And I was thinking about how they've entered into the world of wonderment, of prayer, of prayer answers, and excited seeing God's answer. And I thought, I wonder what they're praying on this morning. You know, I wonder who they're praying for. And it just felt this feeling that you have of every time someone just comes in and just gets excited about the Lord, it adds another, like a circle of prayer, you know, another layer. You just realize that you're glad that more people are praying. And I thought that's what's unique in discipleship is that so few people pray. You know, sometimes you wonder that. Or do many people pray? Like, do believers actually pray? And it's fun to see somebody, like, duplicated out. And they really start having fun with their prayer life. And that's what I want it to be. I don't want it to be that boring prayer life. You know, when I was a kid, I went to church, and they had my little offering envelope, and I put 10% of what I made that week in the envelope. Well, my parents paid me for my, what is that called? Chores. Yeah, my chores. My tithe. Then it goes on up to a dollar eventually. And so I was like 10 cents I was giving in the offering. But the one thing they had you do, check, did you read your Bible every day? Check. Say, did you pray every day? Check. You know, a lot of times you found yourself, I got to say a quick prayer today because I've got to check on my offering envelope seven days of extensive prayer. (laughs) Well, you can come a long ways in your prayer life of how God puts things on your heart. And that's one thing I like seeing is just the excitement of learning to pray and really having fun with it. Not where you're just check mark, you know, guilty, it's my duty. And you know what? Sometimes it starts that way. But it shouldn't stay that way. It should move. Because as you get excited about the Lord, things start coming and you just have it on your heart. Then sometimes your prayer life plays a strategic part in someone's life. And what's unique about it is prayer is the one thing that is not limited. You can pray for people just anywhere in the world. Like one day I just, I had this girl that sometimes God put her on my heart. Well, she lives in Israel. And suddenly I knew something was bad wrong, not with her, but her whole family. And she told me when I started crying out to God for her, that three things had happened at once. She was sitting in a conference, and I think it was like her sister passed out. Then her dad, at the exact time, was in a car wreck that almost killed him. And then a third thing happened, I think, with her grandmother. I can't remember what the third one was, something, but it was three members of her family. And you just, usually they're spaced out a little bit. And as we began crying out, You know, I just go, something's not right. Like in her family, like I just felt this attack just go for her family. And so we were able to call it off. And everybody, it turned around. Her dad walked out of the car wreck. You know, it was just uniquely what God had done. And so I was thinking, 
Isn't it unique where you can get a word and it can be clear across the world for somebody? And not only can you get a word, but you can, the Lord will speak to you what you're praying for. I felt, wow, something is trying to tear up her family. Well, this is when it really hit home with me, and this is my own version of prayer, and I'm going to call it Oops Praying. Now, I'm sure you know how to spell oops. This came real to me when I had another friend that lives both in Israel and the U.S. And I'm not around her, but I find myself sometimes praying really hard for her. She has a difficult job, and she saves people's lives. She's an ER doctor. And so I just I look at her, and I just feel this burden at times to pray for her. While I was uh, telling her, I said, you know, the other day, I just really... I just had something on my heart. What was going on? And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, Angie, here I am. This aging life of, uh, you know, my kids are grown. You know, just everything that has happened to me in my life. And she said, to my knowledge, you are the only person in my life praying for me. There's not another person who prays for me. It scared me. And I had a realization then, and it's what I call, oops, only one praying. That in every person's life, in every person that's a believer praying, you should have some oops people. Where to your knowledge, you are the only one praying for that person. Wow. You know, she said it meant a lot to her to know that God sometimes would stir my spirit because no one else in their family prays for them. They don't have a believing family. There's no other person on earth. So I would encourage you, make a journal and ask yourself, who are those people that I really have a, a, something special for in my heart? Like, they're just, they're a unique person. And see if God will give you an only one praying list of people to pray for. Now that's in addition to the people you pray for that you are responsible for. Like I have a, a group of people that I give a prayer covering to. I do a layer of praying for them. Like it's my joy, it's my pleasure, it's my responsibility to pray for this group. This is those that are in addition. But doesn't it bother you to think there are people out there that you might be the only person that's ever whispered a prayer for them? You know, sometimes you'll see an amulets go by. And instead of going, I've got to pull over, you start interceding for whoever that person is or the helicopter going over where they're carrying somebody or someone cuts me off in traffic, I pray for them. Lord, whatever's going on in their life right now that makes them such an aggressive driver, you know, and you start praying for them. You know, you can have such a, a fun time praying for people. I see a certain bumper sticker I like. You know, I see a certain hat that someone wears, and I'm like, oh, I want to pray for that person. You know, there's some deep agreement here. You know, like, I'll sometimes reach my hand out when someone has a Christian bumper sticker I like and go, Lord, just answer whatever prayers they're crying out to you about. I'm just putting my agreement with their prayer life. Y'all, prayer can be the most stimulating, vibrant thing in your life. So I would tell you, you have an obligation to pray for other people. But you also have an obligation to pray for yourself. You know, I think of this story, and this is the one that came to me when I was thinking about our, our new friends. 
I was thinking about Peter. And it's the opening line where the Lord told Peter, couldn't you pray, could you pray one hour so that you wouldn't enter into any kind of pierzo, temptations, testings, or trial? And so he gave Peter an hour of prayer. I'm going to ask you, if the Lord told you that if you would pray an hour every day, it would make a difference, would you? If God just told you, one hour of prayer from you would make a huge difference on the course of how things turn out. Could you do it? You know, in these days that we're living in, prayer counts. But Peter didn't see the need for it at that time in his life. <laughs> Peter was not in his best place. How about if you were going to fail or you were going to fall? Don't just go into it blindly when you feel that coming on you, that temptation. Remember the Lord's words to you. Peter, pray an hour. Just see if you can just pray for one hour. Because Jesus had predicted something really bad to Peter. And we'll read that in Matthew's account. In Matthew 26, verse 31, Then Jesus told him, Peter, this very night you're going to fall away on account of me. For it is written, and then he quotes a verse from the Old Testament, This night you're going to fall away on account of me. Now, that's an unusual sentence, but when you think about Jesus' life getting in spiritual warfare, it makes everyone around him more vulnerable. Like because of what was going to happen to Jesus, then the enemy was just going to rush everyone else that was his disciples. Never before had they not had his prayer life on them. But this time, Jesus was in for the fight. It's not the fight of the century. It was the fight for the whole world for the redemption of the whole world. And so at that moment, he tells his disciples, I'm giving you a head up that on account of me, you're going to fall away tonight, this very night. You know, I think about it, and sometimes I feel that feeling that, wow, some people I think get attacked on account of me. <laughs> like I, cre I cause a little bit of extra spiritual warfare in their life. And you can't know exactly what Jesus was saying here, but he's telling them it's creating some waves, some turbulence in the spirit realm. It'll fall away on account of me. He wasn't going to be there to protect them like he always had. When he was taken away, he says, it's going to hit you. Now, listen to these words. It says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And he said, that is prophesied of me tonight. That as the shepherd of our souls, that night he was struck and it scattered all the sheep. Y'all, when someone else that's kind of gives you a prayer covering gets struck, you need to pray more. That means your life needs more prayer added to it. And so it's something that happens in the spirit. But he tells them, but after I have risen, then I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And so Peter makes his statement. I can't call it his statement of faith. Peter replied, even if everyone else falls away. Because Peter was telling Jesus, look around. These around you are weak. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> if all these fall away, he said, on account of you, I never will. That's a bold statement. That might be one of those tested by praise statements. Like he's putting that boast up there. But he really meant it with everything he had in him in the flesh. But did you know your strength in the flesh will not protect you in a battle that's spiritual? I've had people that are very strong 
in their strength, in their physical being. I've had people that are very clever. I've had people that are very skilled. But when they're in a spiritual battle, they fall apart like a $3 watch. I mean, it blows in all different directions because it is a different battle. There's different winds to the spirit. And so this is what is taking place here. And Peter's telling him, I'm strong. Out of everyone here, like I'm a fisherman, I can out-wrestle, I can out-cuss, I can out-do anyone that's here. And Jesus tells him that word, Amen, amen, truly I say to you, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Wow, that's a strong statement, disowning. The loyalty here is being tested. But Peter wasn't going to have it. He was not going to have Jesus talking like that. That is talking down about me. And you can tell Peter is not happy with this statement. And he says, look, I'm going to just put it in these terms. He's telling Jesus, even if I have to die with you, even if it means death on the table, I will not disown you. And when Peter said it, all the other disciples said, us too, me too. You hear him. And all the disciples said the same. So they were all in agreement. This is not going to happen this way. What they didn't know was that Jesus was prophesying. He was giving them the formula of how to overcome. And the same thing that would have worked for them works for us now. I'm so glad this was in the Bible. Because the next verse says, Then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with him his special group. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And when he went away with his special three guys that gave him strength, that gave him comfort, it says all of a sudden his soul became sorrowful and he began to be troubled. Can you imagine the pressure that was on him? The sorrow, that the sin of the world, the, the cesspool, all the mess, all the curse. He can feel the weight bearing down on him that he has to go through with this moment. In this, we see that Jesus starts that thing where he's about to have the ultimate blow. It's hard to believe how God came as a man and that God in a man would die. I mean, what an unusual ideal for redemption. That Jesus was literally taking our place and he was taking the death that we deserved. And so the next thing that happens is three times Jesus comes to awake the disciples and get them to pray so they won't fall into temptation. So this is what I would tell you. This is an alert. This is something telling you, wake up. <laughs> it's time to pray. And in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Like, I feel like he was almost trying to die there from the pressure. He said, Stay here and keep watch with me. But he goes a little further, and he falls with his face to the ground. That's a lot of agony. I don't know if you've ever had much agony on your life, but sometimes you fall flat to your face. And as Jesus was on the ground, he began to pray, and he goes, My Father, if it's possible, could you remove this cup? But then he would clarify, and he said, Yet not my will be done, but let your will be done. And he would ask, Is there any other options? Is anything could be changed? Can we put something else on the table? But Lord, if it's your will, I'll go through with it. Then he would stand up from there, and it says in the next verse, 
Then he'd return to his disciples, and he would find them sleeping. And he said to them, couldn't you men pray for one hour? And it says he asked Peter, couldn't you men pray for one hour so that you'll not fall into temptation? So this concept is the one hour difference. That one hour could stand between you failing and falling, succumbing. And that's where I was going to tell you the answer to temptation, evidently, one hour can turn it around. That it can change it. So in verse 41, the next verse, it says, Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. And then he tells them a unique statement. For the spirit is willing. Maybe that's your intentions are there. (laughs) But the flesh is weak. So this is Jesus' answer to temptation. I think it's unique to see that Jesus does prayer checkups. He goes ever so often. I mean, he's praying in agony. He's praying with intensity. He's praying with his whole soul. It's not just the moment of his lifetime. It's the moment of all the years since Adam and Eve fell that it is all on him to turn it around. You know, I see people in history. I've seen people even this past year that it felt like all of history was on them. That if they'd do the right thing, it would turn history for the good, like the Christians. Like, you literally could say, the eyes of the world are upon you. The intensity. And I asked, did they put that one hour of prayer in? Did they really get before the Lord and say, what is your will in this? So, it's prayer checkups during hard times. And I would ask you, are you doing this? That the answer to this kind of intensity is prayer. The answer to not getting washed away, even in something you don't think could happen to you. Where you say, no way, that might happen to everyone else, but not to me. You probably need to pray the hardest. (laughs) Because you're setting yourself up for this. So it says in verse 42, and he went away a second time and he prayed. So all that we've talked about is round one. And he comes back round two and he says, and a second time he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You see a shift in the way that he's praying. If it's not possible, then let your will be done. And then it says in verse 43, up he gets again. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing to the Lord. In verse 45, then he returned to his disciples and he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Like he is letting himself be delivered into their hands. And listen to these words. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Wow, those are strong words for that moment. You know, at this moment, the moment had came for Peter now that he is left to his own resources. You know how this plays out. But Peter now is, is working off of what he can bring to the table alone. And you see this verse that he had not captured Jesus' understanding of prayer. Because think about this. Jesus spent his last free hours on earth. What, anything he could have done in his last day, his last free hours on earth, and he spent it praying. That's how he spent it. He accompanied the Lord to pray. All the guys went with him to go with the Lord to pray. 
but the master was left alone. Not one of his disciples could pray one hour with him. Not one of them. So Jesus spent his last three hours on earth pleading with God. He didn't want to go through with it. But more than that, his, more than his desire to avoid suffering, he wanted God's will to be done. He had surrendered and committed himself to this plan of redemption. He understood, I'm the lamb that will be slaughtered for the sins of the world. So he spent himself praying, pleading, asking. So the question you have to ask yourself, if Jesus, being the Son of God, had to pray, what makes you think you don't have to? Like, if anybody could pull rank, what makes us think as Christians that we don't have to do the same? When Jesus struggled with God's will, and he struggled with his destiny, Jesus gave an assignment to his disciples. Stay awake and pray that you don't come into temptation. But his disciples were not able to overcome sleep, let alone overcome temptation. <laughs> you know, uh, Sam was, we were talking about this scripture today, and she was like, you know, he told them don't bring swords. And she said, he wasn't really saying there's never going to be a time for swords. He was just saying, I've got to die. And he was telling him, so Peter, you aren't hearing the Lord on this one. <laughs> like, I've got to do this. Sometimes people, they don't understand the moment. These moments of perplexity, these moments of where there's trial, these moments of sometimes where someone that gives you strength is telling you something you don't want to hear, don't believe, the best thing you can do is hit your knees. Pray it out. Think how many conflict situations could be avoided if people just really fell on their face and started crying out. Rather than spending an hour thinking about it, talking about it, being upset about it, and going on this season for who knows how long away from the Lord. If you really ran not only to the Lord, but on your knees, the difference that it can make. So when the crowd of temple guards and priestly servants arrived to arrest Jesus, you notice this. Peter at this moment wasn't taking his cues from Jesus. <laughs> he wasn't getting the idea of this is what should be done next. The pray for one hour. And so I'm going to tell you that this tells me how important your prayers are. You know, you look at those disciples and Jesus was telling them, your prayer life, you praying, is important to me. What is the difference your prayers could make? What could you do to change things? So, one of the biggest temptations when bad things happen is the temptation to give up. Just quit. Usually quit and feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> if the apostles had prayed instead of sleeping like Jesus had told them, maybe they'd had enough strength and courage to do the right thing when those bad things started going down. And the same with us is that when we're not prayed up, we are not playing our best game. We default to our automatic emotional reactions and we handle it in the flesh. And this is a perfect example of what the prayer life does. It keeps you out of handling things in your flesh. So none of the other disciples did it. After three and a half years of training, they all failed. And so I realized this scripture is a perfect example of where Jesus found himself as the O-O-P. <laughs> 
And that's what I was thinking on this morning. Jesus, you understand what we're talking about emotionally feeling like, wow, everything rests on us. Because in your greatest moment of crisis, you were an OOP. You were the only one praying. And that's the designation I'm giving you tonight. You have some people in your life that you can be creative about and you can pray for and you can make a difference for them. Because you think about Peter, where would he be if Jesus hadn't prayed? Peter, Satan is demanding your soul. He is demanding to sift you. Like he says he has legal right for you. But I prayed for you that when you fail, you will once again rise up and you will strengthen your brother. That's why you find him in Acts. After he preached that great sermon, a lot got saved. He didn't immediately start organizing the people. He went to his hour of prayer. Like Peter and John were on the way to prayer. He had realized prayer makes the difference. So, morning prayer. I want you to think of your morning prayer this way. I'm giving you ideas. But in your morning prayer, think of yourself in the garden. I go to the garden alone to pray. And think of it as the garden of promises. Like you can pray any promise that God put in his holy word for you. It says the promises are yes and amen. Have you ever felt a promise? Like when you don't know what to pray, grab a promise. And just pray through the promise. You'll get revelation you never thought you could get by praying through his promises. It's a garden It's like where Adam was in a garden of so many trees with so much fruit on them. There were so many to choose from. And that's how our promises are. They're everywhere for us. That God has put them there for you. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the worst things that believers are, uh, like, one of the things that they do that I don't think we're very talented at, that we're not very good at this, that we don't have our heart prepared for this. We're kind of lacking in this area. And it's receiving So sometimes I ask the Lord, make me a good receiver. Like, I want to be where I can receive from you easily. And so I'll start praying into not only the promises, but that I have the heart of a receiver. Only from Him. I don't want to be from anything else. I want to receive from the Lord. So I'm like, Lord, I sit under an open window of heaven. Make my heart where I'm a good receiver. Have you ever noticed people in relationships, sometimes they can't receive from the other one? Like, you feel that wall. Like, they say they want it, but they actually, they're not good at receiving human kindness. They don't have that ability to be good at receiving. Some people always have to be helping someone, but they can't ever receive from them. It makes them feel awkward. So, work on your receiver. Some of you, you could spend hours doing that. Another thing is, I was thinking, how does Jesus give us authority? And then one page over in the Bible, we can't do what he told us to do. Like, that bothers me. You know, like, Jesus gives the disciples authority, and then the disciples can't do what he told them to. And then he doesn't feel sorry for them. He just tells them, go and do more prayer. And so I spend time in my morning prayer saying, Lord, I'm asking you to give me the authority I need for today's problems. Give me the authority I need for those that I pray for, for those that I give a covering to. Lord, I'm praying for me to receive authority. I don't even know exactly what authority is, Lord. Please show me what it means today. Like authority is unique. It's not power. Authority is different. So Lord, put into my heart 
what authority looks like inside of me. Like that kind of authority that when I walk in, that the enemy understands I'm here and I'm ready to get my resistance up. And so I start meditating on authority, what it means. Because God gave us authority in the garden and we handed it off and lost it. We don't want to do that again. We want to take the authority that he's given us. And very few people walk in authority. Like you can't think of people and say, wow, they really walk in the authority of the Lord. Not many. So you're not going to have many people you can pattern after on this except the Lord. You're going to have to look in the Bible and see what authority looks like on someone. And people were amazed. I mean, even foreigners figured out about Jesus. Wow, we've noticed that you can speak to something and it obeys you. Like things that don't have ears do what you tell them to. Like the wind, like trees, the sea. Like who is this man that he has authority that when he speaks things that don't have ears do what he tells them to do? You need to figure this out with God, what authority looks like on you. The centurion said, well, I have soldiers. I bossed them around. So I understand you have authority to tell a sickness it has to go. He figured it out based on authority. Do you know you could figure out some of your problems in your life based on what God shows you about authority? You're lacking authority. You're not thinking in the realms of authority. And then you can get to the realms of good gifts where God, he never tricks you. He says, I won't give you a snake if you're asking for a fish. I'm not going to give you a scorpion if you're asking for an egg. I'm not going to give you a stone if you're asking for bread. Like sometimes you're just asking for bread. God is not going to switch it out for you and give you a bad gift. And he says, because he's good. And God's the only one that truly understood goodness. And some of you have had some bad things the devil's done to your life. And God didn't do them to you. He says, I don't play games with you. I'm not the one that's twisted. And so you need to work through this with the Lord. Because he says, your father being evil, like he'll even give good gifts. But he said, how much more shall a heavenly father who's perfect give you every good gift? It's shocking. So you get into these realms of good gifts and promises. And then he tops it all off like at Sonic. They put a cherry on top of the drink. And he says, and all this with joy. You know what? You're praying until you hit joy. When you hit joy, your faith has been excited. And so these are things that you can do in your prayer life. You may be bored. I hope you took notes and thought, you know what? I want to explore some of these areas. Because prayer is your homework. When they couldn't cast out the demon with their authority, Jesus said, go back and do your homework. So authority, prayer, the goodness of God, what you pull down in the morning time. You'll use all day long. And let me just tell you, you don't want to have prayer in your life that doesn't do any good. You don't want to waste your breath. So you need effective praying. You know, maybe why some people don't pray is they don't see answers. Like they're like, mm, my prayer life is not very effective. Well, this is addressed. And I'm going to give you the definition of effective prayer. It's not a watered-down definition. It starts out in James. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is there any cheerful? Let him sing. Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, it will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Then it says these words, For the prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. The prayer of a righteous person is very effective. So if you're righteous in the Lord, if you've got your breastplate on in your armor, your righteousness is wanting to pray effectively. Do you know what he says next? What effective praying is like? Do you know where he goes from there? The book of James. He tells you pray effectively. But he gives you a unique example. His example was... Elijah. He said Elijah had a nature like ours. That's a funny statement. That could mean a lot of different things. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth its fruits. That is the example of effective praying. Some people would say, that's arrogance. Are you telling me you pray and it causes your whole area to have rain or not have rain? That's what James says is effective praying. I had a a very important event in my life. And one of my friends, he was here at Howard Payne. He's a a Baptist pastor. And uh, he was telling me all the things that, you know, he had done in the occult world. And then he had gotten radically saved for Jesus. And so I was at Bell Plain Baptist listening to him preach. And he preached on this verse. And a storm came out and tried to wreck this event I was hosting. And so I told him, go out and do what that scripture said. He goes, what? I said, I want you to live that sermon you preached all week on this. Because you preached on this all week long, Elijah, right here. And so he went out and he spoke to it in the authority of Jesus. And suddenly... The rain passed over us, and it made the most beautiful sunset with rain clouds and the sun shining through. And the beauty of it was it took a hundred and something degree temperature and reduced it into the 70s, and it blew away our mosquitoes because this man was effective in his praying. Effective praying. So, effective prayers have results. If you're not getting results, it doesn't say it's God that's ineffective. (laughs) or God's saying no he's telling you you have results if you pray effectively this is a very Jewish thought here I get uh, Jews are very good at understanding success you need to get out of your mentality it's a religious mind to think that you're not going to be successful in your prayer life one of my friends once she grabbed me and she threw me against a medical counter and her anger was My prayers don't get answered. And I told her that's one of the most dangerous places you can live. If you're having that problem, even that thought in your head, you must turn this around in prayer. You must be confident that when you come into the throne room of the Almighty, you walk in with boldness in order to receive mercy and grace for your time of need. You must pray effectively. Maybe that's why you're not praying. You don't see yourself as making a difference. So I've given you these points that if you pray an hour, you can make a difference. 
You can change history. That literally, that if you're an effective prayer, you get answers. And the example is Elijah. And he gives both ways. He stops the rain and he starts the rain. And it's not for a week. It's not for a summer. It's for three years. Three years and six months. So, I'll tell you a story on myself. And you might have done the same thing. But my mom was invited to speak at Phoenix. And so, when she was asked to speak, there was the sweetest preacher's wife. You know, I just really liked the couple. And she said, oh, I've written a book. And I said, what have you written the book on? And she goes, prayer. And y'all, I'm sure your flesh wouldn't do this, but my flesh went, ugh, prayer. Another book on prayer. And you know what? The Lord's funny. When you do that, then the Lord always has a good sense of humor and he'll get you. Because I was, I was thinking, ah, y'all, she has the most interesting prayer concept I've ever heard of in my life. I don't do this much. But I'm going to read you their mission statement. Our mission is to change the spiritual climate and transform culture through deploying strategic prayer in their state of Arizona and the nation by mobilizing tens of thousands of people to invite God's transforming presence into every sphere of culture influence. 2 Chronicles 7:14. Let me tell you what this translates into. She does what the military does. They assess and they verify their results. Now this is effective praying. They were having schools that had suicides in them. She doesn't just stay at home and pray because she reads in the newspaper. And then she started telling me about what they were doing with cold cases and police departments and law enforcement. And here I was in that Lord's sense of humor. I was going, oh, another boring book on prayer. Isn't that unique of how she came up with a way to verify the results and there were so many stories that she couldn't share openly that had been personal that the Lord had done behind the scenes. So I was going to tell you, expect results. Verify. Don't be afraid. Sometimes parents are afraid to let their kids pray that they'll get disappointed in God. She takes it to another whole realm, takes students out there, and they begin to pray over difficult situations. You know, in your praying, you're praying that God gives you guidance, protection. One of my favorite prayers, Psalm 91.3, that there is no traps. When you feel yourself getting in a trap, that you have foot protection. In Psalm 91, where it says, the angels give charge over my feet, that they don't stumble. Sometimes I trip on a hanger in the morning, and I'm like, oh, I haven't put on my foot protection yet. That that's if my angels keep my feet out of trouble. <laughs> Get my resistance up. Get it in place. Y'all, we're not having fun with our prayer life. We're not being creative enough. Before important decisions, in Luke 6, 12, in those days, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed all night long, and he continued in prayer to God. That was what he did the night before he chose his 12 disciples. So before Jesus made a big decision, such as choosing who his 12 disciples were, he stayed up all night praying. He didn't just say, well, I have discernment. You, 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 and you. Let's go. Come on. He put that time into prayer. Have you ever stayed up all night long praying? Has there ever been anything that important to you? Let me tell you what helped me. I had a colonel in the military. And he had fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. 
And he told me, he said, I want you to do something. He said, I want you to, to not be afraid anymore of losing sleep during the night. He said, you can get up and you can pray. And he says, it won't do the same as waking up for other reasons. He said, get over your fear of praying. He said, you're going to even be able to pray all through a night. So I was going to tell you, first of all, perfect love casts out all fear. Get the fear out of your prayer life. The second fear you might have is, I'm afraid God doesn't speak to me. Like, I can't hear God. Let me tell you the answer to that. That's fear, that God can't speak to you. And I'm going to tell you how you trump it is ask. Ask him questions. I told the Lord, I said, look at what I'm going to do. I'm going to be very intentional and ask you direct questions. Like a friend was sitting next to me and I would ask him. I'm going to ask the Lord, speak, tell me what you want me to do. And then I put it on him to make his voice known to me. Like it says, my sheep hear my voice. So I tell the Lord, hey, don't make it be on me having to hear your voice. Just speak loud enough that I can know what you're telling me to do. And I'm going to trust you to hear your voice. Get the fear of those areas. I know a lot of people that are very numb in their prayer life. And they won't ask God what to do for guidance ever because they don't think they can hear God speak. And it's by intentional asking that you start hearing. That's a form of faith. And so I went a while during that time of just asking, not hearing. But I did it by faith. Lord, I'm just asking you, what do you want me to do? Tell me clearly so I'll know what you want. And I started intentionally asking him. And you know what? The rhythm changed and I had the flow coming much better where I could hear him speak to me. And it took that barrier out of the way because what was blocking me was fear. And then the next thing is, when you're really scared, guess what you do? Repetition of words. <laughs> and we think that God hears us for many words. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, No, he doesn't hear you because you say a lot of words. Be very intentional with what you're telling him. Speak. Like, if you're finding yourself just nervous talking to him, it's not working. You're wasting your time. You're just letting your fear come out. Let me tell you what most of what we call prayer is. We're telling God our problems. He knows your problems. Start telling God your faith. Believe that you receive before you before you even have your answer, start believing you've received from the Lord. Most people, I would say, they could cut out 90% of their prayer life as they know it because it's only verbalizing everything wrong in their life. So you start speaking, Lord, I'm up against this, and I'm going to trust you. This is what I feel that I get excited about in my heart. I pray out of my joy. I pray out of my excitement. And so you start praying in those areas. That's where I'm telling you, get the fear out of your prayer life because you'll be like an old person just talking da-da-da-da-da-da-da, saying the things over and over to God. It doesn't have faith. It doesn't give him anything to work with. Know that he can't help you to hear if you're not asking him questions. Don't be afraid of your sleep. When we need God's help with making a big decision or a lofty challenge, don't try to wing it with him. 
don't elevate yourself above Jesus and think, well, I don't have to pray. I'm just that spiritual. I can just make a decision. You're getting into Peter land. <laughs> Pre-Pentecost Peter land. <laughs> so get the bugs out of your prayer life. It scared us when as a radio station we went around asking pastors, how much do you pray a day? And many pastors were not praying daily. And I'm like, oh, because you're a target, first of all. The enemy would love to take you out of ministry. No wonder so many pastors are failing. No wonder so many sermons are boring. <laughs> no wonder, you know, that their congregation's falling apart. They're supposed to be praying over their people. Y'all, if you're in ministry, realize this is part of it. This is your homework. Believers who don't pray. And then there's other people. They say to me, you're the only one praying for me. These are important. You know, a lot of times I think we quit too soon in prayer. Like, let me tell you how prayer feels. It's not always inspiring. Sometimes I start praying and it feels like I'm ripping flesh off my bones. <laughs> it is miserable. I don't feel like praying. <laughs> my thoughts are muddled. I'm scared out of my mind what I have to face that day. All that's there. But I don't start talking my negatives. I start talking God's virtues, His attributes, His faithfulness to me, His love for me. I start getting past that distraction you feel where you're thinking about everything that's going to happen in your day. You know what I do to get rid of that? I get me a list, and when I have a thought of what I've got to do, I just write it down, and it makes my mind stop, and I can move on and pray. Sleepy. Where, let me tell you what it's like to pray. It's like running. When you first start out, you get winded, but you get to a certain point and you get past the windedness and it gets easy. You've got to pray past the hard part. Don't think what's well, easy for them to pray, they're an intercessor, and it's hard for me to pray, I'm not an intercessor. That's not true. Everyone, it's hard for them. It's always hard in the beginning. You get past it. That's why I'm giving you hints because I'm getting you past it a lot quicker. You can get into the flow. You can get into the sweet part of praying. You're quitting before you sense that your problems went under your feet. Like you could be right on the edge of your authority kicking in and your problems drop beneath your feet and you stop because it's hard or you're distracted or you're sleepy. Like it's right before you win. <laughs> Don't back up when you're winning. Get that breakthrough. Like you will feel the release in your spirit when you get it prayed for. So in the morning, I think of all the things in my day. There may be some things you dread that you have to do. Conflict, something. I pray through my plans with the Lord. I pray through the day. And then I pray till it's smooth. And you feel it. And then you're ready to go. You can feel it. Okay, when are my feet? And you start on your day. So authority. We've been speaking on authority. And the reason why we speak on authority is because most people do not use their authority. Most people. Like, you're going to hear some sermons on prayer, but you will not hear sermons hardly ever on the authority that you have as a believer. Yeah, most people never use their authority one time in their entire life. Prepare your heart to use your authority. Plan out your day and pray out your plans. But if I only speak about authority... Occasionally there's people that use their authority, but they don't pray. 
And that's what got those disciples in trouble. They tried using their authority when they got up against something that someone asked them to do. And they were very powerless Christians. And Jesus sent them back to prayer. So prayer is what you do as homework. Lab is your authority. That's what you do publicly. You command it. You're using your authority over things that, that are evil. So Luke 18.1 tells you that Jesus says that there's something that's going to happen in the end time. That people ought to pray, but they're going to get tired and weary of praying. And I wrote something down in Luke 18.1. It's the story of the lady needing justice. So what's going to happen is trying to get justice will be a problem. <laughs> and so it makes you weary. Because there won't be that on earth among people like there used to be. Used to, you could find a pretty fair judge. But Luke 18 says that there'll come a hardness of men that they neither fear God nor fear men. And it'll be hard to get justice. And it said it'll try to wear you out. And he says, don't get weary. But notice what shows that the lady did. She acted on her prayer life. It's a parable about prayer, but she went and started bugging the judge till she got what she needed. And then he says, when I come to earth, will I find faith? This is talking about now. Now. Don't give up praying. Don't get disillusioned with the justice. God has things for you to do, assignments. Don't wear out. I repeat this up to me, to myself constantly. Tell myself, look, I'm not going to get weary. Jesus said I ought to pray. So when it's hard and I'm weary, I still must pray. I have to pray past weary praying because deep calls to deep. I don't know how many of you are good at friendships, good at relationships, good at conversation, but try to be interesting to God. <laughs> try to have some depth with Him. Don't be praying like when I used to check my little envelope. I mean, I prayed for two things my entire childhood. Lord, lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil and give me wisdom. It worked for my childhood. God answered prayers of, of just keeping me out of trouble all the time. It wasn't because I was a good kid. I don't have the soul of a saint. But he led me away from temptation. He delivered me from evil and he gave me wisdom. But grow up. You can do better than that. Some people don't talk with you because you're boring. You say the same thing every time they see you. Have some fun with God. Be creative. Have depth. Be pleasant. Be clever with the Lord. I think Steph got herself this extra life by telling God, you're holding out on me. Who says that to God? You're holding out on me. And what he does, he punishes her and makes her be a part of cross lines. And just says, okay, I'm not going to hold out on you anymore. I'll share my problems with you. <laughs> God, you can have fun with him. Someone told me, they said, you and God are yoked together. And I told God, hey, you're uniquely yoked. You're with me. <laughs> and so you can have some joy with God. And it's funny, he'll come back. He doesn't leave things unsaid. You know, I told you how I found the Lord was I found a sense of humor. Y'all explore the depths of God. You may be a little boring. 
You may be a little predictable. Change your tapes a little bit. Have a little fun with this Almighty. Think about him. Be passionate with him. Love God with all your heart. Love him with all your mind. Loving God with your mind, that's unusual. Love God with your mind. You think you got a good intellect? Are you loving God with it? Loving with your soul. Loving with your strength. Like when you feel your strength, men, they do, they love their strength. Like a man, they admire their strength. Loving with your strength. Loving with what God has given you. Think about this. God is genius. He's the author of love. He created love. You must give God love. Don't just give him duty. Give him love. Then the rest of the day, walk out your prayers. That he walks with me. He talks with me. Praying those prayers right before you go into an unpleasant situation. Lord, would you go into this with me? Or maybe you're going into pleasure and you say, Lord, I want to enjoy you. Holy Spirit, speak through me. I have no idea what to say. But I'm going to open my mouth. You feel it. Some of you, you don't know what you're going to say anyway. You need to give the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the chance. Lord, you promised to bless those who bless me. Will you bless this person who helped me? Will you just bless their life? You know, Lord, someone's trying to back me into a corner. Help me never to be cornered, trapped. I'm not an animal, Lord. Help me to think with cleverness. Give me favor. You know, little kids, you can lay your hands on their heads. At least that's what the Bible says. But anyway, and so when you're laying your hands on their heads, you're saying, Lord, protect them. Don't let the enemy ever steal from them. I'm praying what I prayed over myself. Lead this kid away from temptation. Deliver them from evil. Bless this kid that the calling on their life will be apparent to them. That you'll be so compelling that they must serve you. Sometimes around 4 o'clock I start running out of gas and I have to go back outside and repray about morning prayers. So Christians who try to skip out on prayer, these are tips. If you have a hard time praying, find a way to do it. One thing I do sometimes, I just some mornings it's just not coming. So I call someone and pray with them. It works. Like, can I just pray with you this morning? Let's get my motor going. Or I go out and I walk and pray. There was a time that I was walking this campus completely. Just my prayer life, I just couldn't get enough of the Lord. I'd run out and he, I'd feel like he was telling me, I've been waiting on you. You can find the Lord. Let me tell you something else. Don't just think your prayers. Voice it out loud. Don't just whisper it. You know, the blessing of prayer is it breaks those chains off your day. It gets wisdom for a problem. It moves something in the spiritual realm. It changes your dreams. Something comes to me out of scripture that I would never would have thought of. And I'm teaching much scripture that comes out of my prayers. And it's so yummy what he tells me that if I don't write it down in my notes, I'll forget it. So it's like, oh, I've got to take notes on what just came out of my spirit. Like I, I would have never thought that you could do that. But it, when you're praying, your spirit is praying. After I have a conversation with God, I feel very connected to him. You know, um, that's what prayer gives you, is connection. God wants to hear from you. He doesn't want you to do the Christian life without him. He doesn't want you living for him. He wants you to live in him, through him. 
So one of the most powerful tools for the times that we're living in, for the times that try men's souls, for the times of revelation is an effective prayer life. So this morning when I was driving in, I was thinking about my new friends and wondering, I wonder how their prayer life's doing. This is what makes discipleship fun, the joy of duplicating ourselves by getting everyone else excited about praying, the agreement, adding new people in, getting them exciting and praying, because there's a lot of oop people out there in this world that needs you praying and effective prayer over them. Amen.